Let's go ahead and this morning, if you will, uh, I want you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Nahum. The book of Nahum. Now we've been talking a lot about these Old Testament prophets and the minor prophets. Um, you know, there's, there's obviously a lot that goes on with, um, with, uh, the, uh, uh, the, the descriptions in Daniel and the, uh, um, the, the prophecies and there's, there's a lot of connections with some of those major prophets that we know as Isaiah and Jeremiah, got Daniel, got Ezekiel in there. And, uh, there, there's a, there's a lot that's stuffed in there. There's a lot of history. There's a lot of, uh, uh, of stuff that we don't understand. There's a lot of things that we may never understand in this life, but we'll understand once we're on the other side. But Nahum is, is a very unique book. And what I mean by that is this, is that most of the time you see the prophets dealing with the nation of Israel. Now, if you look at the book of Nahum, and, and, and I want you to see there the very first part of chapter 1, verse 1, the burden of Nineveh. The burden of Nineveh. Now, there's something very important about Nineveh. Nineveh uh, uh, was, was causing a burden on the Lord. And what I mean by that is that he was burdened for them. He was burdened because of their sin. He was burdened because of the pending judgment. He was burdened before those things. Because again, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But there comes a time when sin must be judged. There comes a time. And I don't see God just sitting there relishing going, oh, come on, sin one more time, sin one more time. Go, gotcha, I'm going to zap you and just destroy you. I, that's not God. That's not who he is. You read the scriptures and you find that's not what he is, it's about. But he has made it very clear, he will not tolerate sin. He won't tolerate it in our lives. He won't tolerate it in the lives of uh, uh, nations. And he will not tolerate it in this world. So when we look forward to that kingdom that is coming, where he's ruling and reigning, man, the reaction to sin is going to be very different. Very different. But before we get started, let's go ahead and pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you again for this time. Thank you again, Lord, for what you give to us in this book. And Lord, specifically the book of Nahum. Lord, I pray that as we look at this, that we'll clearly see what you have intended for us. That Lord, we will see who you are, the judgments, the principles, the comfort that we may find. Thank you again, Lord, for those that are here. Pray, Lord, we would just be very attentive to your word, our hearts ready to receive what you have for us. And this I ask in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. So the key verses that we see in, in the book of Nahum start out right at the very beginning. Nahum chapter 1, verse 1, it says, The burden of Nineveh, the book of the vision of Nahum, the Eclishite. Now, it's an interesting thing because people are always talking about, well, who is Nahum? Because Nahum is, is an Eclishite. And you're not going to find any other reference 
to Elkish anywhere in Scripture. You're just not. It's one of those places that you're like, well, where is it? And there's a lot of conjecture about it. A bunch of people talk about it. There's actually a current place called uh, Elkush right now over in Israel that was inhabited by a bunch of uh, uh, Yemenis Jews that uh, uh, fled persecution and set that up over there. And they, they, they called it that in reference to Nahum himself. Uh, but, but that land of Elkush, the place that it's located is, is in the province of Nineveh, the Nineveh government. And that, that government, if you look at it, where it's located today is over there by Mosul over in Iraq. The Syrians occupied part of Iraq, just like the Babylonians occupied Iraq. And what we find here, and this is why Iraq is a very important, uh, 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 if you will, country to look at in regards to prophecy. But one of the things that we find here with this is, is this is where he was living. He's beginning to prophesy about what is coming to this area. And the Lord's given him a very specific message to communicate. And this message that he's going to go communicate is a message of judgment. It's also got the purpose of giving comfort. Now, if we know anything about the Assyrian Empire, and this is who it's talking about, this is not the Babylonians, but this is the Assyrian Empire. The Assyrian Empire had been a plague for the northern tribes of Israel, what's referred to as the Kingdom of Israel. The Kingdom of Judah had the two tribes, Benjamin and Judah, and it was occupying around the area of Jerusalem and further to the south. The ten other tribes that broke away in rebellion, and uh, because of the wickedness that Solomon and Rehoboam had done, uh, what we find is that they were first captured before anybody with uh, Judah was captured, they were first captured by the Assyrians. And eventually the Assyrian Empire fell, and it fell to the Babylonians, and this is the prophecy of what's going to happen to, to Nineveh. Nineveh was that capital. Now, we know Nineveh from another book of the Bible called Jonah. We know that Jonah was sent to Nineveh to preach. And setting aside what Jonah did, we see that the Ninevites received the word of God and there was repentance and change. Jonah took place somewhere, um, depending on how you look at the timeline, somewhere between 50 to 100 years uh, before Nahum was written. That means that when Nahum is writing this, the, 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 the Nineveh and the Assyrian Empire had turned back to sin. They had gone back to their evil ways. And now they were persecuting the ten tribes. They were bringing them into bondage. And now they had gone a little bit further south. And they had surrounded Jerusalem. And they were uh, capturing all these smaller cities that were uh, not well defended. And here they are surrounding that city. And they're laying siege to it. And they're going to destroy it. And they're talking about how they're going to destroy it. And I want you to understand, this is right around that timeline when these things are happening. When the Assyrian kingdom is getting ready to destroy Jerusalem. They're there. Which is why you see in chapter uh, chapter 1, verse 7, he says, The Lord is good. 
a stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knoweth them that trust in him. This book is not only a book of judgment about Nineveh, that the, that, that, the, those, uh, um, those Jews get to see about what's going to happen to Nineveh. It's a warning to them as well about coming judgment to them. But we also see that it's a comfort for Israel. It's a comfort. And we'll see more about this as an application here at the end. But it's a comfort for Israel. Take a look at what he says in, in verse 15 of the same chapter. Uh, uh, it says, Behold, upon the mountain the feet of him that bringeth good tidings, that publish, uh, publisheth peace. O Judah, keep thy solemn feast, perform thy vows, for the wicked shall no more pass through thee. He is utterly cut off. So what we have here is we have Nahum coming and giving a prophecy to Nineveh saying, you're going to be destroyed. At the same time, that prophecy, God is also comforting the Jews saying, hey, you trust in me, this is what's going to happen, you're going to see it. You're going to see something. You're going to see the power of God. And this is exactly how he begins to talk about this. In verse 2 of chapter 1, it says, God is jealous, and the Lord revengeth. The Lord revengeth and is furious. The Lord will take vengeance on his adversaries, and he reserveth wrath for his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power, and will not at all acquit the wicked. The Lord hath his way in the whirlwind, and the storm, and the clouds are the dust of his feet. And he continues on to describe the power of God and who he is. But those first three verses really paint a very dark picture for Nineveh. Saying, you're going to be destroyed because of what you've done. And it makes mention that God's a jealous God. You know, at one point in time, God was doing some things in Assyria that were amazing. Let's think about Nahum. Or not Nahum, Nahum, uh, Naaman. There we go. I'll get his name right. Naaman. Naaman was a leper. Who was he a captain of? Assyrians. He, he, he was led to Elisha by a little maid that was captive from the northern tribes. We see the, 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 the Lord had done something great and mighty in, in Naaman's life when he was cured of the leprosy. We also find that, that throughout what uh, the, the, these this workings that he's done with with Assyria, he's used them in a tremendous way. He's used them, and we'll find this in, in, in a few moments. That he used them as a rod to to correct the nation of Israel, and he pleads with them with Jonah, where he sends Jonah, a, 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 just a, a Jewish man of God, a Jewish prophet, to plead with them to stop their sin, and they do. But then they turn back. And God says, I'm jealous. You turned to me and now you're turning away. And God's that way. Jealousy isn't a bad thing. It's the envy we have to be careful of. Jealousy is not sin. You should jealously guard your wife. You should jealously guard your husband. 
You should jealously guard your children. Because guess what? The devil and the world want to just destroy them. Why? Because they want to destroy you. They don't want you standing for anything for God. So you, you guard those things with jealousy. Just like the way that the Lord guards you. Man, you know, my mind wanders sometimes and, and, and it's a dangerous thing. Because because there's a T-shirt that says it's you know it says uh, uh, you're, you shouldn't let your mind wander it's too small and fragile to be out on its own um, but uh, I, I, I I my mind wanders and I just sit there and think about you know you you read the book of Job and you read that conversation between Lucifer and and uh, and and God and uh, and how God talks about uh, Job and. And you just sit there and wonder, uh, how many times has some principality, power, devil come up and said, I want to destroy that guy? And God goes, no, can't touch him. What are you talking about? I, I, we, you know, no, 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 no. And he goes, nope, you can't touch him. Aren't you glad God jealously guards his believers, his saints? How many times have we been kept safe? How many times have we come that close to death and God spared our life? Amen. Man, man, I think about that. God's a jealous God. Why? Because he loves us. But here he is, and he's saying, look, you know, you guys were, you were with me once, but you're not now. And the reason why is because there was something that had happened at the heart of Nineveh. You know, Nineveh had, had a great revival uh, with Jonah's message, yet, you know, several decades later, here we're looking at them, and um, they had polluted themselves. Take a look at what it says in Nahum chapter 2, and in verse 11, referring to uh, what uh, the condition of, of Nineveh, and it says, uh, where is the dwelling place of the lions and the feeding place of the young lions, where the lion, even the old lion, walked, and the lions whelps, or whelp, and none made them afraid. You say, you know, this is how he's describing Nineveh, that there were a den of lions. Fierce, strong, angry. And he says how they, they would prey upon people in verse 12. It says, the Lord, the, excuse me, the lion did tear in pieces enough for his whelp, uh, whelps and strangled for his lionesses and filled his holes with prey and his dens with raven. And he says, behold, I am against thee, saith the Lord of hosts, and I will burn her chariots in the smoke and a sword shall devour the young lions and I will cut off the prey from the earth and the voice of the messenger shall no more be heard. I want you to understand that voice of the messenger shall no more be heard is an important thing. It's a very important principle when we start looking at what Nahum and his timeline and who he's what's going on at that at this point. The Syria had gone through and man, they had ravished and they had just torn and destroyed nation after nation after nation after nation after nation, and they were becoming this massive giant empire and kingdom. And God said, you know what? You're going to get cut off. Look at what they had turned into. 
Remember, this was the same place that they had put sackcloth and ashes, even on the animals, when they were pleading for the mercy of God. Look at what they had become in chapter 3 and verse 1. Woe to the bloody city! It is all full of lies and robbery. The prey departeth not. They had become to a point of where they no longer accepted truth. They had just become liars. They became robbers of what was put out there, taking away from what others had, trying to steal from God. And I want you to understand that, the stealing from God part. Because this is how serious this had become. This is why God sent this judgment to Nineveh, because of what they had allowed Because he talks about that there is one that is coming, there's one that is in this, uh, um, uh, um, uh, in this, uh, 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 this city that is speaking all of these things that are contrary and blasphemous to God. It was led by a man that had lifted himself up in pride. It was led by a man that thought himself more highly than he thought of God. I want you to turn to 2 Kings. Keep your place there in Nahum. We will come back to that. But what we find in 2 Kings is we find the historical chronicle of what took place. In 2 Kings chapter 18, we have Hezekiah. Hezekiah is ruling and reigning. And this siege begins to come around Jerusalem. And they're there and they have uh, surrounded the city. And we, 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 we find what it talks about with Hezekiah in verse 5. It says, he trusted in the Lord God of Israel. So that after him was like none, uh, excuse me, so after him was none like him among all the kings of Judah nor any that were before him. He trusted that much in the Lord. He claved to the Lord and departed not from following him, but kept his commandments, which the Lord commanded Moses. So we begin to see that God is trying to comfort Hezekiah and Jerusalem at this time, Judah, because of the situation that they're in and what they're being surrounded by. And he said over there in verse 7 about being strong and good to those that trust in him. That is a direct reference to Hezekiah. A direct reference to Hezekiah. What do we find as we move down a little bit further and as they're surrounded by this army and they begin to have uh, parlay and discussions about trying to make peace and, and they send these messengers from Assyria to come and and begin to speak with the king. Begin to speak with the people. And these messengers were communicating the will of the king of Assyria, Sirachinib. And this guy was not a good guy. He was not a king that feared the Lord. He was not a king that feared anybody. He had a Luciferian mentality and then he lifted himself up and he thought he was more powerful than God. 
And we find as we go down and, and, and if they've surrounded the city in the, by taking all of the other cities around it, now they're, if you will, in this state of siege without actual, you know, siege machines there, they're, they're in a state where there's horrible things about to happen. And we find here that in verse 28, then Rebshke stood and cried with a loud voice in the Jews' language, and he is a messenger from the king of, of Assyria. In verse 28, he crowds with a loud voice in the Jews' language and spake, saying, Hear the word of the great king, the king of Assyria. Thus saith the king, Let not Hezekiah deceive you, for he shall not be able to deliver you out of his hand. Neither let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord, saying, The Lord will surely deliver us, and this city shall not be delivered in the hand of the king of Assyria. Hearken not to Hezekiah, for thus saith the king of Assyria, Make an agreement with me, buy a present, and come out to me, and then eat ye every man of his own vine, and every one of his own fig tree, and drink ye uh, every one of the waters of his cistern. Until I come and I take you away to a land like your your own land, a land of corn and wine, a land of bread and vineyards, a land of olive oil and honey, that you may live and not die, and hearken not unto Hezekiah when he persuadeth you, saying, The Lord will deliver us. Hath any of the gods of the nations delivered at all his land out of the hand of the king of Assyria? Where are the gods of Hamath and Arpad? Where are the gods of uh, Seraphim, Hannah, Iva? Have they delivered Samaria out of my hand? Who are they among all the gods of the countries that have delivered their country out of my hand that the Lord should deliver Jerusalem out of my hand? Now that is a horrible, horrible message. Everything about it was about the king of Assyria saying, God will not deliver Jerusalem. This man stood in defiance of God. And this is why Nineveh gets judged. They had allowed this king to stand and defy God and who he is. His mercy, his compassion, his greatness and defy his judgment, saying, the the other gods, they weren't able to do this. The Lord will not be able to deliver you. Don't listen to Hezekiah. You need to rebel against your king. Now, they didn't answer, and they sent him on his merry little way, and then they eventually sent a a message to the king of Assyria, and they said, not going to happen. We're going to trust in the Lord. And uh, we find here, again, that uh, um, that this messenger goes in verse 8 of chapter 19, and he begins to, 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 to tell the things that they had been told about, that they were not going to yield, that they were not going to uh, uh, yield to the king of Assyria. And, and, and it becomes very evident about what he has done. Because we find that, as it says in verse 6, it says, And Isaiah said unto them, Thus ye shall say unto your master, Thus saith the Lord, Be not afraid of the words which thou hast heard, with which the servants of the king of Assyria have blasphemed me. Behold, I will send a blast upon him, and he shall hear a rumor, and it shall return to his own land, and I will cause him to fall by the sword in his own land. 
God just prophesied through the prophet Isaiah that Syria was going to be destroyed. Serachabedib was going to be killed in his own land. Well, this messenger goes back and he tells the king of Syria what has been told. And in verse 11, it says, Behold, thou hast heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all lands and by destroying them utterly. And shalt thou be delivered? This is, I'm sorry, this is when, uh, um, uh, back up here a little bit to verse 10, I'm sorry. Thus shall you speak to Hezekiah. This is what Serachinib tells the messengers to tell him, uh, king of Judah, saying, Let not thy God in whom thou trustest deceive thee, saying, Jerusalem shall not be delivered into the hand of the king of Assyria. Behold, thou hast heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all lands by destroying them utterly, and shalt be delivered. Have the gods of the nations delivered them which uh, my fathers have destroyed, as uh, as uh, Gozan and Haran and Resva and the children of Eden, which were um, which were in Telassar? Where is the king of Hamath, the king of Arphad? the king of Seraphim, the king of Hana, king, uh, and Aviva. Hezekiah received the letter of the hand of the messengers and read it, and Hezekiah went up into the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord, and Hezekiah prayed. Now, that's an important thing. We see Hezekiah completely trusting God and saying, God, this is in your hands. Here's the letter. Here's what they told me. And God said, I will destroy them. I will destroy them. In verse 22, um, or back up here in verse 20, it says in, in chapter 19, Then Isaiah the son of Amos said, sent unto Hezekiah, saying, Thus saith the Lord of Israel, which thou hast prayed to me against Serachinib, king of Assyria, I have heard. I, I love those words. I have heard. He heard that prayer. This is the word that the Lord has spoken concerning him. The virgin, uh, uh, the, the virgin, the daughter of Zion hath despised thee and hath laughed thee to scorn. And the daughter of Jerusalem hath shaken her head at thee. Whom hast thou reproached and blasphemed? And against whom hast thou exalted thy voice and lifted up thine eyes on high, even against the Holy One of Israel? By thy messengers thou hast reproached the Lord, and hast said, With the multitude of my chariots I am come to the mountain, the height of the mountains, to the sides of Lebanon, and I will cut down all the tall cedars thereof, and the choice fir trees thereof, and I will enter into the lodging of his borders, and into the forest of, of his Carmel. I have digged and drunk strange waters, and with soles of my feet I have dried up all the rivers of besieged places. Hast thou not heard long ago how I have done it in the ancient times that I have formed it? Now I have brought it to pass that thou shouldest be lay waste, uh, lay waste fenced cities to ruin heaps. And here he is, he begins to prophesy what's going to happen. Isaiah is saying it. And now we find Nahum saying it. And we find that in the end of all of this, it's Rachanib was not victorious against the Lord. And I see a key principle in the book of Nahum. Based off of chapter 1 and verse 7. And it boils down to this. 
In whom do we trust? In whom do we trust? Hezekiah had fully put his trust in the Lord. Sarakinib put his trust in himself. It was a conflict of wills. Was it going to be the king of Assyria's will that uh, dominates God's will? Or was God going to have his vengeance? And we know what happened to Nineveh. Nineveh was flattened. It was destroyed. They left it in a heap. And the ruins of that place are still being excavated somewhat today. They're actually being pillaged today and being sold on the black market antiquities, or black, uh, the antiquities black market, and the things that are over there. But it was just destroyed. It was just flattened. You go over and take a look at Mosul now, and it's a, not only is it a war zone, but it's, it's, it's not a nice place to be. But what we find here is we find that God had prophesied that this is exactly what's going to happen in the book of Nahum, that he was going to judge it. And the principle that I see about trusting is about who we're going to trust. Are we going to trust ourselves or are we going to trust God? Hezekiah didn't trust in what he could do. He only trusted in what the Lord would do. But another principle that rises to the surface, and this is something that is very important for every Christian to understand, God will judge pride. God will judge pride. To him, that proud look, he calls it an abomination. There are a lot of sins that are described in Scripture. Several of them have some very interesting descriptors. Lord hates sin in general. But there are some that he just classifies as an abomination. And that one is pride. When a man would lift himself up to the position where he thinks himself stronger than God, more powerful than God, it will be judged. Was not that the reason why Lucifer was cast out of heaven? When he lifted up himself in pride, this king of Assyria does the same thing. The same thing. And guess what? God is going to bring him low. Second Kings chapter 19 and verse 35, what happens here? And it came to pass that night, and this was after the defeat. And I guess I should back up here just a little bit where it, it, it says uh, that uh, God's going to defend the city in verse 34. In verse 35, and it came to pass that night that the angel of the Lord went out and smote the camp of the Assyrians, a hundred, four score, and five thousand. And they rose early in the morning, and behold, they were all dead corpses. Okay, that angel of the Lord is an amazing thing. He takes on 185,000 warriors and kills them all. I, I, I can't even begin to think about that. In verse 36, what happens here? Then Sarakinib, the king of Assyria, departed and returned and dwelt at Nineveh. And it came and passed as he was worshiping in the house of Nishrach, his, his god, that Adram Melech and Shearezar, his sons, smote him with the sword. 
and they escaped in the land of Armenia, and Esar Hadon, his son, reigned in his stead. There he is going back to his God that he had created, and what happens? His sons kill him. Shortly after this, Nineveh falls. Falls of the Babylonians, they come, they march in, they take the place, and it's destroyed. They level it. They get rid of it. You know, I think about this, and I think about what God had done over in Isaiah 10. It talks about how God was going to use Assyria uh, to bring judgment for to Israel for their sin, and he's extending his, his compassion, his care, and his grace to, to the Ninevites and the Assyrians. And again, that, that, that's something that really, really, really irritated Jonah. Uh, um, and, and they had, you know, God had helped the Assyria many times. But, 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 but here, here it is. The kingdom had turned. The kingdom had turned to a national pride and they began to reject God's grace. They began to reject his mercy. And I can see some issues here with our country seeing some of the same things. Because it all comes down to not our productivity, not who's in power, not what party is which, but it comes down to this. Who is our God? In whom are we trusting? We've got it on our money, and they want to remove it. It's our motto. But I have to say, I have not seen this country trust God in a long time. In a long time. But it boils down to this. You go back over there to the book of Nahum. We see the parallels with Jonah. What Jonah said over there in chapter 4. And how he said he knew that he was a God that was slow to anger, that was merciful. We find in Nahum chapter 1 and verse 3, almost kind of, if you will, echoing the same thing. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power. Aren't you glad that the Lord is long-suffering? Aren't you glad that the Lord extended mercy in your life? Aren't you glad that over and over and over again he patiently waited for you? But Nahum adds something here, and he just flat out says, the Lord will not at all acquit the wicked. When he sees pride like this rise up in a man's heart, in a kingdom, in a nation, in a city, God says, I will deal with this. I will deal with this. And he does. He does. God's slow to anger, but he will not tolerate sin. You understand that at some point in time, it's all going to be judged. All sin. Now, if you're a saved, born-again child of God, you took care of that on the cross. Praise God. And we still will stand in front of God and we'll be judged on what we did for him. Whether it was good, whether it was bad. Look at the intent. Praise God, we're not being judged in our sins. That was taken care of at the cross. But when somebody raises up in such a way that their pride is there, I I, want to put it this way, and I heard somebody say something similar to it. 
they, they become an aggressor towards God. Your pride will make you an aggressor towards God. And God will return that aggression back to the aggressor. That pride will return. And as he says throughout this passage and throughout the book of Nahum, over and over again, he says, There's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to come back to you. It's going to come back to you. It's going to come back to you. And what we find is, is we find a great comfort for us as Christians. Knowing that God's going to judge pride, we look at this world and we can see there's a lot of pride. There's a lot of things that people lift themselves up. They pride themselves in their sin. They pride themselves in other things. I've seen Christians do it. Christians get proud and lift themselves up in pride when they do something that is against God. And then they boast about it. And they laugh about it. You know, that should make you uncomfortable. You shouldn't want to be around that. But the one thing that I see very clearly about that is that God's going to send a judgment against that pride. He'll take care of it. He'll handle it. As He's always handled every single sin that's out there. He's taken care of it. He will judge it. He will do all of these things. And we take great comfort in that. Knowing because many times people will sin against us. But vengeance is God's. It's not ours. He's the one that revenges according to Nahum chapter 1. He's the one that will handle it. We're not the ones to go out there and try to return evil for evil. We're to overcome evil with good. As he speaks about it over and over and over again, how we approach those situations, it all comes down to whether or not we're going to allow God to do what God's going to do. They, 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 they didn't get to a point of, uh, uh, you know, the, the Ninevites didn't get to a point uh, where they just began to uh, um, believe these lies. They, they began to get to a point where they, they just robbed God of who He is, and they tried to rob God of His glory, and they tried to rob God of His power, and they tried to rob God of all the things of, of what he, he had done, saying that they were greater than God. They were the ones that owned the land of milk and honey and oil and all of those things. But in the end, God took it all away from Nineveh. Took it all away from the Assyrians. And I look at this book and I realize there's a great comfort for believers today. And I can even see comfort for believers that are going to go through some pretty hard trials in the future. Comfort for those that maybe even go through the Great Tribulation. You take a look at all of these words and these messages that are being delivered to Nineveh. And you think about it. In, in, for those that are at the end. The end of this world. The end times. Those believers. Those saints. You know, whatever whatever we see in this world right now and whatever somebody, people after us may see, uh, and, and no, no matter how how horrible it may seem or, 
or how little value or no value this the world assigns to the words of God, to the power of God, to God Himself. No, no matter any of that, I will say this. That comfort is we get to see that God will judge that. We prepare ourselves in that day of judgment because our trust is in the Lord. I can't help but really truly think about how important this book is going to be for those that go through the tribulation. You realize that the Antichrist is described as the Assyrian in Scripture? He's often referenced and characterized and pointed out, much like Sarakanib is here. Sarakanib is the type of the Antichrist. Don't they come and they surround the holy city? Don't they try that a couple of times? And fail. The same thing is here. And not to, 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 to cry for joy because somebody's getting their just deserves, if you will, but somebody cries out in praise and glory that God is greater than man. The overall principle that I like to see with the book of Nahum, and you taking that and matching it up to what was happening at a historical time in Second Kings is this overarching comfort in trusting God. God is greater than any man, any kingdom, any nation that has ever existed. That's who my God is. That's who my Lord is. That's my Savior. And he, he, he goes through, and, and in this, this book, he talks about, he's like, you know, you, you, you talk about all those nations that you destroyed, and where are their gods? And he brings up this, na- this nation, this city called No, and he says, what happened to them? The one that dwelt between the two rivers? He said, they were wiped out, just like you're going to be. And No was a powerful city. No was known as, as, as an industrious uh, city, but it was also filled with filth and violence and destruction. And, and, and in the end, it was laid waste. And God says to Nineveh, that's going to be you because of what you've done. They blasphemed God. As I say, I, Isaiah said over there, I, I like how he phrases it. It's almost like he's asking the question to to, to Sirachinib, do you know who you just picked a fight with? Do you understand that? That'd be like somebody that, 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 that t- has taken boxing. Anybody here take boxing? Some sort of maybe a martial art or something? Nobody wants to admit that they've done that. <clears throat> you know, I want you to think about it. You got some confidence in your skills now. You're like, man, I might be able to defend myself against the meth head that comes against me. I might be able to do that. How, how, how about how about bringing out some of those people that are championship fighters? 
Best public service announcement that I ever saw for road rage. There's this black Mercedes accidentally cuts off a pickup. This pickup gets mad, pulls around, and slams the brakes in front of him. Guy hops out. And he's this guy. He's got his car hard on. He's got his hat on. You know, just looks like one of those guys. He's just like, you know, good, solid, blue-collar worker. He's ready. He gets out. And he's like, come on, man. Come on, man. You're going to fight. You're going to fight. You're going to fight. The door slowly opens. Evander Holyfield walks out. <laughs> I love that. I love that. It, it was a, it was a, it was a, it was a commercial, a PSA for, 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 for don't do road rage. You don't know who you're going to run into. And, and I'm just sitting there thinking, it just, you could just see the guy's face change. What did I do? And here's Isaiah saying, do you honestly realize who you just blasphemed and who you said you were greater than? But Sarakonib didn't care. And in the end, his army was destroyed. And in the end, his own life was taken by his own children. In the house of his God, that could not protect him one bit not even from his own children God makes it pretty clear God will judge sin God will judge pride God will judge the wicked doers and the evil ones in the end we should take that as a warning as a note but we should take it as a great comfort we can trust our God I want to read that verse one more time in Nahum chapter 1, verse 7. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knoweth them that trust in him. He knew Hezekiah. He was a stronghold. They could not, Israel, excuse me, Jerusalem could not be defeated. Why is that? Because their stronghold was God. And God is good. He's always good. Let's stand for prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this time. Thank you again, Lord, for an opportunity, Lord, to just study your word. From a historical perspective, Lord, we see what you've done. From a spiritual perspective, Lord, we see how you encourage those believers that trust you. And Lord, I pray that as we continue to progress through this life and we see more and more wickedness and more and more devilish and satanic type actions and words and influences, that Lord, we would just continue to trust you. We would not falter in that day of trouble. But Lord, we would understand that our high tower, our deliverer, our shield, our buckler, our fortress is, has always been, and will always will be you. Lord, may we retreat to that. May we hide in you. May all of our trust and our times of difficulties and our times of trials all be placed upon you. And again, Lord, I thank you for this time. Thank you again for what you've done for us. And I ask and pray this in your Son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen.